And welcome in to round three of the Bari Viking podcast. I am your host, Mike DeCourcy, and parts one and two with uh, Bari legend Charles Albert Cavanaugh uh, downloaded many, many times on all of the different places where you can get your podcasts, whether that is Podbean, the Google app, the Apple Store, and anywhere else on the World Wide Web, you can find it, the Bari Podcast, on the Impulse Radio Network. And with us today, here in round three of the Bari Podcast, is somebody uh, who I would consider to be a friend, and somebody who I would consider to be one of my bosses, and somebody who I would consider to be my partner in crime occasionally on the media side of things. And uh, we go back a long way, nearly 20 years worth of history, both good and bad, together. And it is our honor and pleasure here on Barif Podcast number three to be joined by the basketball coach of your Barif Vikings, Coach Josh Thompson. Good evening, Coach. Good evening, Mike. Uh, great to be on here with you tonight. And, you know, as that intro played and uh, I sit across the desk and you've got all this mixing stuff, the thought came into my mind that enters my mind a lot that destiny is a lot like gravity and it, it pulls us in. And, and I, I really feel like this has been your destiny to have a podcast, to be a media guru uh, like you've got going on with your media class, but also – uh, with what you're doing now with the Bari podcast. So thanks for having me on, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, a lot of uh, things to talk about here. We're going to do a like we do with Albert. I, I like these real big deep dives. I love two-part <laughs> uh, two interviews and, and, and discussions. And the whole premise of the Bari podcast is, is telling the stories that people think that they may know, but they really probably don't. They don't, you know, when I was a kid, I loved listening to Paul Harvey. That was appointment radio at, at noon every day. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the rest of the story. And there's a lot of people who know a little bit of a lot, but they don't know a lot about a little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's amazing to me, uh, people always, they know what they've been told, but they never, uh, it's hard for them to, to, to maybe sit and listen, you know, as it happened from the person who lived it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always neat to get an opportunity, to, like you said, to, to kind of pull back some layers on people, uh, whether they're celebrities, uh, whether they're, they're mentors, people that, that you've had an affinity for in the past. And, um, you know, I think it's great. You know, I, I listened to your podcast there with Albert and just tremendous to – uh, hear all of his stories and, and a lot of the background stuff that, you know, he's told me one-on-one. Uh, but like you said, probably not a lot of people know all the rest of the story that's that's really behind Albert and, and the effect that he's had on our school. And before we get started, uh, you know, we, we do our, our Bar Eve media stuff kind of in tandem together. Um, you know, excited as as we get closer, edging in here, here to basketball season. Uh, going to bring back the uh, the coaches show, the Josh Thompson coaches show. It's going to be on Wednesday nights, and we're excited about that. Uh, but just a little bit of a, a, a weekend recap, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of weekends where it's a it's a good time to be a 
fan of the Bari Vikings, and and this weekend was no exception. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, and and people sometimes ask me how I do it with a daughter on the team, and actually it's probably easier for me because. Um, I can sit up there and, and try to keep you calm when I need to keep you calm. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, um, it, it is tough, you know, when you've got a daughter that's out there playing on the floor and you're hoping that things go well for her and go well for her teammates. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, obviously it was extremely enjoyable last week, but it's been uh, a tremendous four years um, of watching her and, and then also watching her all the way through um, when she was a little kid, uh, second and third grade playing volleyball with her mom on Sundays uh, up in that league that they had there at Linton. And, and just for the, you know, to, to think that there's only at most two games left in her high school career, um, you know, it, it's, it's been, a, been a heck of a ride with her. Yeah, it, it, it certainly has. And, and the one thing about J.C., and we, we've talked about it, um, on the air is, is you almost play a thankless position uh, when you're when you're the libero and and people notice you. Um, it, it's almost like when you're a really good shooter in basketball and you miss a free throw. Yeah. And it's well, you weren't supposed to mishandle that ball. You weren't <laughs> supposed to not make that play. And uh, it's 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 a lot of the same uh, you know same scrutiny. I, I guess you could say. Absolutely. That that position is very thankless. I think it's a lot like, a, you know, being a setter, too, in volleyball because, you know, we talk about how unbelievable Hannah Graber is and people just really don't don't have an appreciation for her. But, yeah, especially with J.C.'s position or, or anybody that's a defensive player in that back row, usually the only time that you get noticed is when you misplay a ball or mishandle a serve. Um, but I, I can just, you know, I can think of a highlight reel in, in my mind of balls that either she shouldn't have got to or balls that – you know, most kids would have probably just got an arm on or something, and, and she redirects the ball um, and makes a play on it. And then, you know, so many times we're able to keep the ball in play or, or even make an aggressive play on it and, and get a point. And, you know, she, she does a great job. She just has a feel for that position. And also, so, well, the Lady Vikings uh, finishing up on the volleyball front, they will uh, play Heritage Christian at 3 o'clock on Saturday down in Jasper. We've – uh, found out tonight the Vikings, Bari Nation, we've been given um, a 1,000 tickets and the Bari media page, which has became uh, pretty popular pretty quickly. Um, the IHSAA has basically told all, all uh, local uh, video streaming outlets that they've been essentially locked out for the rest of the tournament. Of course, we'll still be um, live on the radio side, but that'll be 3 o'clock and there's plenty of tickets and uh, everybody should be able to get in on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's uh, that was great to hear. And uh, it's also great to hear that, uh, you know, fans can cross over, um, you know, and go to that 1 o'clock game if you buy tickets at Ligoti. And then, uh, obviously, Ligoti, uh, if uh, they want to cross over and, and stick around for our game, they, they can do that. Um, I know that J.C. has uh, lots of friends there on that Ligoti team. Uh, she she went to Ligoti through the seventh grade, and so this this class of seniors, um, good friends of JC's, and, and we wish them the best of luck there at one o'clock, and then uh, you know obviously uh, hopefully we can take care of business at three o'clock there against Heritage Christian, and uh, cross country season at least on the uh, the girls end of things uh, fell just a little bit short of advancing to the state finals for the very first time in the in the history of the school. 
and uh, seventh place out of 20 teams at the Brown County Semi-State. But uh, small school, no classes in cross country, and mm-hmm. and uh, certainly um, nothing to, to hang your head about. No, just a tremendous season by those girls. And, you know, here's the thing, Mike, about the, the IHSA is – we, we, we knock on them so much for so many different things, and I agree with them and disagree with them on other things. But when you look at other state associations, they do a phenomenal job in comparison. I don't think that anybody does high school sports the way that the IHSA does them. And, again, nobody's perfect. I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect coach. Um, you know, but they do a lot of great things. But one thing I would love to see the IHSA do and take an extra hard look at over the next couple years is uh, – adding class sports for tennis and for uh, cross country. And, and I don't think it would be that difficult to do. Um, you know, at, at the cross country uh, sectionals and regionals, you, you could host those at the same event. Um, it would just add probably an extra hour to your event to be able to run those. And, and I think you could break it up into small schools and large schools. And, um, you know, it's it's like Carmel's cross country team. I mean, they've they've got a multitude of – kids and some of them don't even participate in the sectional and regional rounds and then they run semi-state and beyond so certainly uh things to 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 keep in mind and to look forward to here in the in the coming years but uh, you know we'll see i know i know there's a lot of people out there that uh, have had those uh those thoughts for a long time and and i've never i've heard reasons as to why mm-hmm. it's not i've not heard any good ones <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. and uh yeah. but uh you know, the IHSA, kind of like that libero, they get, you know, zero praise when they do so many good things and, and, and all of the blame and the shots taken at them when, yeah. when somebody thinks that something may not be right. Well, and, and one, one thing that they've done a great job of here recently is putting Paul Knighty as commissioner. And, again, Paul and I disagree on, on different things. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, there's, there's nobody, I, I think, that's a better friend of high school sports than Paul Knighty. Somebody has the best interest of student athletes in mind, and definitely from a basketball coach's standpoint, I know basketball coaches and officials are extremely happy that Paul Knighty is the commissioner of the IHSA. All right, well, that's the weekend wrap up, and you know, hopefully, you guys out there in in podcast land uh, will join us on Saturday in Jasper, and hopefully, the Lady Vikings can make their first. Two-way state finals appearance, tall order rematch with uh, defending state champion Heritage Christian. I know the coaches are busy um, breaking down film as we speak, and the girls will go in prepared, and we'll see what we can do. And uh, getting to the podcast side of this, you know, Coach, I I told Albert um, when we were getting ready to record the first one, I thought that we were going to break it down into two parts, and the two parts – you know, I, I considered with Albert were, were the Bar Eve side of things, maybe the educational, some of the story, some of the history. And then the second side, it was, you know, business in the front and pleasure in the back, kind of like a mullet. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then we went to sports and we went to basketball. And that's kind of what I, the format that I, I, I want to do. And I want to kind of break out here with you where we can get to um, kind of the nuts and the bolts of, of, of who you are, where you're from, what you're all about. And then uh, part two is going to be the part that uh, I think a lot of people will really, really enjoy, and that's some of the very high highs, but also some of the um, really bad lows of the Josh Thompson coaching career. Yeah, there there have been some highs and, and definitely a lot of lows. And, um, 
you know, when I when I think back about wins and losses and different places that I've been, um, you know, probably the thing that I, that I would tell, you know, young coaches um, out there as assistants that that I have always followed is not to be afraid to fail, and uh, you know, I I think as a as a player, if you're afraid to make mistakes and you're afraid to fail, then then you're setting yourself up that you're not going to be very successful. As a coach, if you're looking for the golden opportunity or the best job in the world and you think you're going to get that right out of the bat, you're you're wrong because that that's a distinct minority of people that get those opportunities. And, and so sometimes you have to you have to go places and you have to learn to lose and you have to humble yourself a little bit uh, before you get you get better opportunities. And uh, I've definitely been blessed everywhere that I've been a coach at and, and it's, you know, definitely not only made me the coach that I am, but, but helped kind of make me the man and, and the Christian that I am today. Well, we're going to start. And I think everybody in Viking nation, uh, obviously knows a, a little bit about your background, Bloomfield, mm-hmm. um, the playing career, the state finals, um, everything that goes along with it. But, um, one thing that I am excited about is when we do drop this podcast, um, I think a lot of people may not know um, the entire story, and that's where you, you try to say, um, you know, you think you know everything, but 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 maybe you necessarily don't. Mm-hmm. And and I know a lot of people have seen um, you know this this around. They're aware of 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 maybe a little bit of it, the phenomenon behind it, and 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 but but maybe not necessarily how it happened. But I think you know a lot of kids, and we've talked about this as teachers and everything else and and kids who grow up in different environments just kind of typically think um things are normal Mm -hmm. but the reality is you did not have a normal childhood you had uh, a father with uh, disabilities Mm -hmm. and tell us that story I, i think it's a it's a it's a remarkable story especially mm-hmm. when you, you sit in a scrutinized position and you're you know you're a head coach at a Vincent's Lincoln or a Bar Eve and, mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know you have people in the community that may be upset about this or this playing time or this coaching decision but um, I don't think it's much harder than having a dad who never walked yeah yeah and you know I'll start off to tell a little bit about that story by you know, it, it just wasn't my dad that, that became my hero growing up. It was also my mom because, uh, you know, every, everything that dad went through, mom was right there beside him. And, you know, um, you know, I think it was my dad's uncle that probably said it best here a couple weeks ago. Uh, I gave a, a devotional talk at Fields of Faith out here at uh, Providence, and, and I really talked about my dad's story a lot. And one of the things that Millard said was he goes, you know, a lot of women – when this happened, and I'll tell the background of the story here in a second, probably would have walked the other way and just kind of gave up. And, um, you know, my mom was right there beside my dad every, every uh, I won't say every step of the way, every push of the way, um, because that's what his, his life ended up being. And um, But go, to go back and, and kind of give how that affected my background a, as a kid, you know, obviously – you never saw things come easy for mom or dad, but they always did a tremendous job of giving us everything that we needed. And I think the number one thing that they that they gave us was they showed us the value of hard work and um, 
if you apply yourself and you put yourself out there, uh, and again, if you're not afraid to fail and, uh, you know, uh, that, that good things are going to happen to you, uh, but it doesn't come easy and nothing came easy for us. Um, but, uh, again, to go back to dad and, and what happened to him and, and, you know, really, if you look back on things, maybe it was the way that things were supposed to be. I definitely believe that the Lord has a purpose for us all. But what happened to him was back on, uh, uh in 1981, the night before Halloween, uh, dad was working as an EMT. And at the time he was working a couple jobs because he was trying to make ends meet. And, um, you know, it was just me. I was, uh, 10, almost 11 months old. And uh, he was an EMT, so they were working nights, and they got a call uh, to go. Uh, a guy in Worthington um, had called in and was having chest pains, and they thought he was having a heart attack. So Dad and the other EMT, they took off. Dad was in the back, and he was prepping the gurney. And um, there's a junction of Highway 57 and Highway 67 south of Worthington, north of north of Switch City. And uh, at the time, the state highway was widening that intersection so that there could be a turn lane there. So they had taken all the guardrail out. Well, when, when they came around that turn, they hit some black ice and the ambulance, it scooted off the side of the road. And had there been some guardrail there, there might've, it might've slowed the ambulance from doing what it did, but it went down over the embankment. And I think it ended up flipping side over side and end over end seven times. But uh, when that happened, the top of the ambulance came off and dad came flying out of the, you know, on, you know, flip, two or three, whichever one, it doesn't really matter. But he came uh, came out of the back of the ambulance, flew through the air. And as we all know, this time of the year, um, you know, the, the harvest had just taken place. And obviously the, the thing that injured him, he broke his back on impact. And I can't remember which thoracic vertebrae it is that, that uh, he broke and severed his spinal cord. So he lost his ability to walk on impact. But the thing that almost got him um, – as far as taking his life was that, that some of the corn stalks went into his leg and, um, and actually, you know, got into several of the key arteries there in the leg and he almost bled to death. Uh, so he was, uh, airlifted to, um, Methodist hospital and, uh, went through countless surgeries, uh, not only on his back and he still has rods in his back from that. Um, but then also went through countless surgeries on his leg to repair tissue and plastic surgery on the leg. And so ever since then, in 1981, he hasn't had the ability to walk. And like I said, again, uh, kudos to my mom because she was right there, you know, at the hospital with him all through that, uh, stood beside him when, when her life was never going to be the same either. But I, I'll never forget a story that my grandmother told me about my dad and about that whole situation she said, you know, most people would have been there in that hospital and they would have been, woe is me, and I'm not going to be able to walk again, and I'm not going to be able to do this. And, you know, um, I come from a family that's very big into hunting. And uh, my gra- my grandfather, uh, Lloyd, who's, who's still alive, lives up there at Bloomfield, he was big on going on these hunting trips. And I can remember seeing pictures when I was little, and I, my mom still has them, of my dad when he was – he was young there in the late 70s, early 80s, going on hunting trips, and he loved to hunt and loved to fish. And so it would have been easy for him to lay there in that bed and say, well, I'm not ever going to be able to do those types of things ever again. But the number one thing that my grandma told me that, that dad mentioned to her was, I'm not going to be able to raise my son and have you know, ex- additional children the way that I wanted to have 
a family and to raise my family because I don't have the ability to walk. And um, I think what, what he ultimately decided, and I don't know, you know, what the come to Jesus moment was, um, but I think he ultimately decided that he wasn't going to allow that to hold him back. And uh, I can remember playing catch with dad, playing basketball with dad, and uh, it was kind of, kind of funny stories. I remember playing basketball there in the driveway at our house that we built, and of course we got fresh blacktop, and so we had to go out there, and I think I was seven or eight years old, and, and dad had put in a um, one of the goals that could raise and lower, and I just remember him banging into my legs with that wheelchair, and it was just like, <laughs> it was like no mercy. And, uh, you know, again, I, one of the things that I, I – I have these words, you know, that I use a lot in coaching, and you've heard me, you know, use it a lot. Um, but I got kind of get stuck and hung up on words, and one of the words I've always used in coaching is toughness. And I, I just feel like you, you can't quantify, you can't put a price on it. But, man, there's just some grit that some kids have and some players have and some people have. And I think I got, you know, hopefully just a little bit of grit and a little bit of toughness from him and – some of those exchanges there in the driveway and watching him do different things in the, in the, uh, in the wood shop and, you know, and then he and my grandfather went on to own a couple businesses and do very well with painting and running the racetrack, uh, that they built up there, uh, Weigler Motorsports Park. It's there in Lyons, but they, dad and grandpa built that in 1996. And, um, so to watch him do all those things that most people, don't even really think about doing and how successful he's been with his life. And then obviously then he and mom went on to have two more kids. So, um, you know, he did more with, I think, and has done more with, with his life, uh, in his 62 years that he's had at this point, uh, than most people, uh, you know, can even fathom. But, uh, again, that, that is a, a lot of, I guess the background story, but so many times when I talk about my dad, I, f I forget, you know, I'll leave out my mom, but th those two are, are definitely my heroes. And, 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 you know, kind of following up on your dad, he, he used to do some incredible things. Uh, you know, talk about the, uh, the, uh, the wheelchair. I don't know if you call them races or rides yeah. where, where he would legitimately wheel himself from, from your childhood home in Bloomfield mm -hmm. to, uh, to Riley Children's Hospital and to IU uh, health center in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's just remarkable. Well, you know, what, what dad decided he was going to do when he was in the hospital was he looked around and, um, you know, we didn't have Obamacare and all these different programs that we have today where, um, you know, the government, uh, takes care of everybody in, in situations like that. And dad luckily had insurance through the County because the County owned the EMT or owned the ambulance service there in Greene County. So the state of Indiana, you know, really helped dad out with insurance. Um, and, and so when dad was going to leave the, the hospital, he was going to have a nice wheelchair, you know, one that, that, uh, was fabricated. And, and one of these companies like quickie makes wheelchairs and he was going to have one of those. But if you didn't have insurance, then you left in the Lieutenant Dan Forrest Gump folding wheelchair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those things are hard enough to get around for people temporarily, let alone you got to live the rest of your life unless you can save enough to buy one of these decent wheelchairs. Well, Dad had always been a good track athlete in, in high school, and he liked that. And so um, he and Grandpa, they fabricated this racing wheelchair so that Dad could do uh, different things, uh, different wheelchair races. Like he went to Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State University, and uh, 
competed there. And he went to different events and did decathlons, triathlon stuff for guys that were paraplegics. Um, he played on a wheelchair basketball team out of Bloomington, and they played Landon Turner's team a couple times. And those uh, those of us that are you know in our 40s and, and older know who Landon Turner is, former IU player drafted by the Celtics that had an auto accident and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. But, you know, Dad did a lot of things like that. And so then ultimately, um, and I don't remember what year it was, if it was 84 or 85, somewhere along there, he decided that he was going to wheel from Bloomington to Methodist Hospital there in Indianapolis. And he was going to get donations, and and uh, he was going to do this to raise money for those guys that were less fortunate that didn't have insurance and, and buy wheelchairs for them. And um, he, he did it in two days. And and I don't exact I don't remember the exact mileage, but I think it's like fifty seven miles. It's it's somewhere around sixty miles. And so you can imagine running that in two days, which would be phenomenal. I can't imagine walking well, in two days. And, and some people, you know, they do that. These these ultra marathoners, they'll do that and they're incredible athletes. But dad did it pushing himself in a wheelchair. And and he didn't do it well, I mean, part of it was just to prove to himself that he could do it and hey, this is this is what my life is going to be like moving forward, but I can still achieve great things. So there, there was a little bit of that, I'm sure. But the main reason it was a selfless reason, and that was to raise money for these guys to buy wheelchairs. Hey, if you were listening to this podcast, then you must love Bar Reef High School just like I do. Well, then you're going to love me on the Birdies Bourbon and Basketball Podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. We talk about all teams in the area on Birdies Bourbon and Basketball. We don't, We talk to coaches, administrators, broadcasters, but especially the North Davis Cougars. But based on the success of the Barry Vikings, it's mostly about uh, the Vikings. Okay, okay. But we've had our fair share of pro athletes, too, along, along with Washington Lagodi. It's not just about you all. Hey, folks, if you want to hear guys argue just like this over local sports, then please tune in every week. Wherever you get your podcast, Davis and Martin County's only local sports podcast, Impulse Radio presents Birdies, Bourbon, and Basketball. So, obviously, you're you're growing up in this house. You've got um, an unusual childhood from from the outside looking in, from the mm-hmm. inside looking out. You probably think you're you're pretty fortunate and blessed. And I think you know everybody you know knows you now. Your 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 coach Josh Thompson, uh, but. The reality is one of the first things, probably something that you liked before sports, or maybe you did it in tandem, is is you are a lot like me, and and you've always kind of prided yourself on being a kind of a history buff, a political nerd. Yeah. You, you you like to consume history, the news, politics. Yeah. How, how and where did that start with you? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it's my dad, you know, and and uh, just just him. Um, you know, talking politics and different things like that. But, you know, speaking of not limiting yourself, um, you know, he, he was on the town board whenever I was a kid. So dad was involved with town politics and different things like that. And he enjoyed giving back to the community. Uh, my mom worked at the sheriff's department. So a lot of times her job was tied to who the sheriff was and in Greene County. So we paid attention to that and the elections for the local officials every four years. My grandpa, um, you know, he was in the military and the Navy. So, you know, being a patriot, 
um, was really important uh, to to my grandpa. Um, and, and you know, making sure you were involved in in the local community and making sure you went out to vote. Grandpa held some political offices as well, but he ran the ambulance service there in Greene County. And I just remember, uh, you know, his office was in the basement of the courthouse, and and my aunt worked in there for him and his secretary and I spent a lot of time in there in the ambulance office uh, over the years and uh, um, so you know I'd walk through the courthouse and you know from a young age I knew what happened in the assessor's office and in the auditor's office and stuff like that so that's really I guess where a lot of that stuff on on politics started and then uh, you know I'll never forget when grandpa was running for corner uh, getting to play uh, golf at, at a couple Republican outings and playing with guys that were running for state Senate, U.S. Senate. And then one time we were in a group with John Hostetler uh, playing in a golf scramble. So, you know, being around politics, I think, has always been something that, that's been a part of my life. So not to get too overly political, but uh, Republicans from the top of the Thompson <laughs> uh, family down, is there any split in the in the tree back, you know, with, with parents, grandparents, et cetera? Because well, we, well, we, our, our family, we, we, we had – uh, you know, we had multiple yeah. things, and one of the last con- conversations my uh, my dad and my grandpa ever had was about, uh, you know, my dad had changed his political allegiance, and that did not sit well <laughs> with the uh, UMWA yeah. coal mining side of the DeCourcy family. So, a- so, so one one branch of the Thompson political tree, or or, well, or multiple branches. Well, you talked about my daughter earlier. Um, it's interesting. Uh, sitting around our table and and her giving her liberal perspective and then uh, Ty my son who's very interested in politics giving his conservative take but going back to uh, mom dad and and my grandpa Foley obviously all of them Republican but one of the things that that they always told me was that you never went in and and pulled the straight ticket ever you know you always do your research you vote for the person uh, that has the best character that you think is going to do the best job, regardless of whether they're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. And, and obviously, you know, it, you, we talk about the fact that we're both educators, and, and you and I both know that sometimes conservatives are not necessarily the friends of educators at the state level. And uh, that was something that was pounded into me as well, that obviously, uh, you know, you talk about the UMWA and and those guys and how they feel about politics. Um that you know you need to do your research on different things because how you vote will will affect your profession. And you know you, you talk about the political side, uh, the history side kind of kind of uh, a little more apolitical. But this is something that that I know you've always really enjoyed, and especially mm-hmm. uh, Civil War history. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've I've always loved Civil War history, and I've taught a lot of things, and been fortunate to do some. Uh, PE and business and different things, but my favorite thing and favorite uh, grade level that I've ever taught is teaching eighth grade history at Lagodi and at Wood Memorial uh, because of that time period, that kind of uh, prehistory all the way through the Civil War. Definitely my favorite stuff. Um, you know, I love the Ken Burns series and how it starts out with the the uh, story of Wilmer McLean and and uh, living there at Appomattox and how essentially the Civil War started in his front yard and it ended in his living room and uh, just little things like that I've always been interested in history one of the greatest things I've ever done as an educator was a a gentleman named Les Coomer from Oakland City Uh, on the 150th anniversary of uh, Chickamauga 
he ordered or he ordered he organized a, a trip and uh, we did a lot of fundraising for this trip and we took any junior or senior from Oakland City uh, down to um, down to uh, Georgia northern Georgia where Chickamauga is south of Chattanooga and we spent a couple days down there sightseeing but most importantly going to the battlefield unless it's kind of a uh, a lay historian and he knows knows the layout of that battlefield he knows where everything took place on it but most importantly he was able to point out to the kids local history uh, and how that tied into uh, the battle of chickamauga which uh, we had a guy from oakland city william cockerham who has a building named after him at oakland city um, and he showed the kids where colonel cockerham was uh, was uh, shot and injured and how he laid on the battlefield for for two days and then he was picked up as a POW and so those little stories about individuals have always amazed me just as much as um, secession and different things like that that led to the Civil War. All right so you're a you're a student at Bloomfield mm -hmm. and and I would and I we've talked about this before and I think Albert mentioned this on uh, the first or second episode of the Bari podcast but um, at, at Bloomfield Albert kind of said that he thought he, he sees a lot of bar even Bloomfield and he thinks it goes vice versa. And, you know, talking about the athletic side, I, I think you can, uh, you know, you can really make that argument mm -hmm. and especially, you know, both communities just love their boys basketball and a lot mm -hmm. like at bar Eve, you know, we've just had tremendous stability and I can't remember what the, the number that Albert gave, but something like four coaches and mm -hmm. in 47 years from Joe Todrank to, Dave Omer to Brian Hughes and now to you and the same thing was going on at Bloomfield uh, when, when you're kind of coming through the system where, where you've had years of continued success you went from a guy Glover a Hall of Famer Steve Brett Hall of Famer Ron McBride should be a Hall of Famer and those guys coached you know a lot of years won a lot of games how early was it in your uh you know, in, in your athletic career or being at Bloomfield where you knew, hey, this this was a, a really, really big deal and something that you wanted to, to do and be a part of. Yeah, um, really early, really early. I, I can remember being a second grader, and, uh, and, I, and I didn't make the second grade travel team. And that was like the most heartbreaking thing in my entire life, you know. Uh, but so, you know, when, when kids don't make teams or – when I've had to cut kids before, especially at Vincennes Lincoln, where we had a lot of kids, those are always tough and they're hard situations. But, you know, I've, I've been through that uh, before. And, and I guess that really set a fire underneath of me that I wanted to really work on, on the game. But you talk about those guys, Mike, Coach Glover, uh, Coach Brett, Coach McBride. And obviously Coach Brett and Coach McBride have been, been very close, been mentors of mine, and I still communicate with those guys um, and didn't know Coach Glover as as well, um, but we had a ton of of other coaches um, that that just really inspired me and and sometimes yanked a knot in my tail. I mean, you know, I talk about how great you know my mom and dad were, and they did a phenomenal job. But there were times where I was a turd. I mean, big time. And I'll never forget guys like Steve Jones and David Dean, you know, pulling me aside and set me straight and I think a lot of that too had to do with th their relationship with my mom and dad and 
how much they thought of them and thought of my grandparents. And they're like, listen, you just don't do things that way. And I, I think, like Albert said, there's a lot of a lot of similarities between Bar Eve and Bloomfield. And I think that's one of the great things about our faculty here, our administration, our coaches, is they're not afraid to grab kids and and pull them aside and say, listen, this is not how we do things here at Bar Eve. This is not how your family would expect you to do do things when they're not around. And that, that means a lot, definitely means a lot. But I know we'll talk about Steve and we'll talk about Ron a little bit more here in a second. But um, Coach Glover, I'll never forget, never forget this, being a sixth grader when he, when he passed away. But before he passed away, we were playing a, a, a sixth-grade tournament, two games in one day at Bloomfield, and Coach Glover was there. He had retired as athletic director, and he was down there, and he was on the on the stage. I'll never forget this. I walked by, and he grabbed me, and uh, he said, Thompson, and, and it impressed me that Coach Glover knew my name. I mean, the guy's, <laughs> the guy's name's up there on the, on the, the wall. The gym's named after him. And I, I thought, I, this guy, how in the world does he know who he is? He, he, number one, knew who I was. And then, number two, he talked to me about my dad. And even though my dad was not a player for him in high school, he was a student and he was a good track athlete. And I'll never forget, he talked to me about, just real quick in passing, about how great of an athlete my dad was. And I just thought, man, number one, this guy knows me, who I am, and knows who my dad is. And those are little things that you get at small schools that, that sometimes get lost at big schools like Ben Davis and Browns, Brownsburg. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, and and one of the things that that we've talked about before, and this, you know, I I think a lot of people think, oh, this is these these, you know, this can be considered coaches just, um, you know, towing the company line and saying what looks good on Twitter mm -hmm. or Facebook or or everything else, but. You know, I, I think there are so many great life lessons that are learned um, at, at, at young ages, especially mm -hmm. in sports, but also into high school that, that you don't get in other places, other areas of society. You know, talk, talk about some of those, those lessons that you've picked up along the way, whether it's, you know, fr from any of those three guys or any of your other coaches. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, talk about Steve and you talk about Ron and those guys were tireless workers I mean you know and, and they're they're both different um, in their approach to the game but the thing I picked up on both those guys is you know knowing and having a relationship not just with your players at the varsity level but with every kid in their program I mean I can remember coach Brett coaching us hard when we were third and fourth grade kids in camp and, and making sure we paid attention to detail, but he knew each one of our names. And I'll never forget the red and white basketballs that I took home from summer camp. Um, I'll never forget how disciplined his teams were um, out there on the floor uh, whenever I was a kid growing up and wanting to play for Coach Brett. Um, you know, and then obviously Ron, uh, he was a tireless worker as far as looking at how prepared he was and how well he knew teams and, um, you know, and then obviously the relationship that, that Ron had with us uh, when we were players for him. I mean, he'd get on to us. Um, but you always knew at the end of the day that Ron had your best interest in mind and that he loved you. And, and uh, I really thank both those guys for that. And then they also had really good guys like I talked about earlier, uh, guys like Michael Hayes and Jeff Andevender and Rick Hudson. 
um, all those coaches that coach us down in the grades that that were all unique in their approach to things, but but all taught us the things that Ron and Steve wanted us to know and, and prepare us to play for those guys. But I, I would say the the biggest thing that I learned from from all of those guys as far as coaching was that basketball is unbelievably important. But like you said, it, it's a metaphor for how to be successful in life and most importantly, to be good men and, and to be good husbands um, because that's that's the way those guys live their life. Um, you know, I know that I played with, with Grant, Ron's son, and, and Grant was incredibly uh, – or Ron was incredibly hard on Grant uh, in practices. Um, but you know what? Grant's a doctor now. And – you know, he he. When Ron came back out of retirement, Grant came to all Ron's games and brought his kids down. And you know, and even Grant just talks about how how those you know times where Ron was a little bit hard on us and and made us do things the right way. That that taught us you know things that that carry with us today. Um, and so I, I learned not just a lot about basketball from those guys, but a lot about being a good man. And and no, no matter if I would have ended up being a basketball coach or um, uh, radiologist, I would have carried those work ethics with me. So when you're at Bloomfield, obviously you uh, you play a lot of a lot of good basketball, a lot of winning basketball. Uh, I think Albert was talking about um, a night where he remembered you coming down to what was in the future going to be named Cavanaugh Court, and basically talked about how you pretty much dominated the Vikings that night. Almost single-handedly, and the, and, the, and the Bloomfield Cardinals win at sixty-two to to forty-six. Uh, but but you uh, your career kind of comes right at the beginning. Uh, you 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 encompass both ends of it. You see the end of one class basketball mm-hmm. in the state and the beginning of yeah. class basketball, and uh, eventually that leads to you guys um, playing in a state championship game in class one A. Yeah, you know, Mike. Without getting off on a big tangent, I think one of the greatest disservices that we've ever done to youth sports is in the state of Indiana is getting rid of the single-class uh, basketball tournament. I mean, just how great that was. And I'll never forget growing up as a kid, what people talked about then was not, hey, let's try to win a state championship when you're a, a junior or senior but let's win a regional. And if we can win a regional, then we're really a special team. And then if something were to happen and we would have a great Saturday and compete and maybe win a semi-state championship, I mean, that team would be legendary in that community. But the goal was to win a regional championship. And obviously my freshman year, uh, we lost to, to WRV, Andrew Graves. He was a senior that year and uh, just a phenomenal championship game uh, Matt Britton who's the head coach at South Spencer now um, those guys laid it all on the line that night and WRV came out on top and then my sophomore year we lost to maybe one of the best small school teams I've ever seen uh, Union Duggar had Brody Boyd and Jared Chambers and those guys both Indiana All-Stars uh, we lost to them by oh it, it maybe ended up double digits but the game was within two possessions all night and then they went on the next weekend and lost to Bloomington North who won the last state championship in 97 single class state championship and they were ahead of Bloomington North at halftime in the championship game just ran out of gas so I just hate that I mean none of these kids that are playing now were even alive when we had (laughs) single class basketball so they don't even know other than stories that they hear from their dads and grandpas but then you know obviously it is what it is and 
and the IHSA felt like that there was a need to go to class sports and and you know obviously we're a school that has benefited from class sports and one you know we've won three state championships and hopefully here in a couple of weeks we can add a fourth um and so there there are some good that comes with class sports um but then you know my my junior and senior year obviously we we made runs both those years uh, we played in the first ever class A boys state championship game and lost to Lafayette Central Catholic but a lot of really good memories um you know um my friends sometimes are amazed that I can go back and talk about different things that happened. Like I'll never forget dribbling a ball off my foot at Edgewood uh, my freshman year. At the end, we were holding for one shot, and I was going to take the last shot and dribble the ball off my foot uh, with about 13, 14 seconds. And guys are like, how, how can you remember that play? Um, how, how do you remember, you know, at some point in the second quarter at Clay City, our junior year, when Todd Hummerkaus come over the top of you, get a rebound and elbowed you in the head. How do you how do you remember when those things happen? And uh, the things that I, I guess I say to those guys is it just meant a lot to me. Um, and I guess that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I ended up getting into coaching. So you graduate from from Bloomfield, nineteen ninety nine, and. I'm not going to say that teaching and coaching was always going to be the plan because, uh, you know, I don't think life is, is necessarily an interstate highway. I think it's kind of a long and winding country road sometimes, mm -hmm. and you've got to make two or three stops along the way before you uh, figure out what you want to do. But, uh, you know, you weren't like LeBron taking your talents to South Beach, <laughs> uh, but instead you took your uh, your, 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 your six-foot-four uh, skilled forward frame uh, to play college basketball at Hanover for a little while. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, you know, and, and really to take a step back from that, um, my senior year I got a scholarship to go to Indiana State University through the rural health program at that time, which they there was a necessity to have doctors in rural communities. And Grant McBride, who I mentioned, uh, Ron McBride's son, he'd got that scholarship. And, and you know, my grandpa was – involved in running the ambulance service and and had been a hospital corpsman in the navy so you know he always you know told me the war stories from korea and vietnam which by the way he's one of the few men um because of his profession in the navy that fought in both korea and vietnam um he was in his late or in his mid 40s i think when he was over there in vietnam and told some great stories about walking walking uh, on the mainland there in vietnam uh, next to 18 and 19 year old guys and he's like 44 years old and he's like <laughs> wondering what in the heck he's doing um, over there but so I always had this background in medicine and I was going to do that and and as my senior year wore down and I had opportunities to go play at uh, Taylor and Hanover and a couple other little schools um, I just decided that I wasn't done playing um, I can remember I went down to the park and and we always had great games when I was a kid there at the Bloomfield Park, and we, you know, you'd have the Graves brothers from WRV. Joey Hart was playing in college, and he'd come back, and you'd just be lucky some nights to get out there on the court. And and I just remember it was a it was a spring night, and and uh, I made up my mind that I was going to Indiana State, and I got out there, and we were playing, and I played well, and I thought, man, I'm just not done with this. So uh, next day, I I I went home that night and talked to my mom and dad, and decided that I was going to go to Hanover and play at Hanover and uh, called Coach Beitzel um, and uh, told him I'd changed my mind. And uh, he said, there, we still have a roster spot for you, so I'd love to have you come down. Went to Hanover. 
Um, coach Miller, who's the head coach at Hanover now, he was our varsity assistant at that time. Toby Kerrigan was my JV coach my freshman year there. Toby's the head coach at Mount St. Joe. Brandon Hoffman, who's the head coach at Silver Creek, he was on the team at that time. Um, and just played with a lot of guys. Dave Benner, uh, coach at Brownstown. Dave would come back. Um, he had a team called the Brownstown All-Stars that were kind of this group of guys in their 20s. And at that time, they would go around in the preseason before Dave started his varsity season at Brownstown, and they would go play all these Division three schools. So they were kind of like the athletes in action going around <laughs> playing all these guys. And they were the Brownstown All-Stars. I remember playing against Dave and got to know Dave, you know, back then. So that was a great opportunity. But my mindset in going to Hanover was I was going to be a history major and I was going to live the life of a college assistant. That was what I was going to do. And I'll never forget Toby Kerrigan. Like I said, he's the head coach at Mount St. Joe over in Cincinnati. Um, Toby asked me one 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 night, I think we were on a, a long JV trip on a weeknight and and we're just we're talking and and uh, he said you know what do you want to do? And I said well I want to really want to be like you and be a college assistant. And he goes well he said let me ask you this one question. He said how important is having a family quick to you? And I said well I, I don't have to have seven kids by the time I'm 31, <laughs> but I would like to have a family and you know maybe get married here pretty pretty soon after college. And he said all right. He said he said if that's important to you then you need to think about being a high school coach versus being a college coach because he said you're not going to make much for a long time as a college coach. And he said uh, it's really hard to raise a family. And uh, Toby's a great dad, um, and he's got a couple kids of his own, and he, he and his wife are doing very well living there in one of the suburbs of Cincinnati. But, you know, he kind of had to wait. My kids are older than Toby's kids. And so he kind of had to wait, and that was something that was important to me. So I, I changed courses and uh, became a secondary ed social studies teacher. Um, one of the reasons why I left Hanover was because I was a history major, and to go back and to do what I wanted to do to get physical education and get computers added on my license, it was going to take me five, a fifth or maybe additional years to do all that, um, and I just didn't want to wait around that long. So then I ended up transferring to uh, IU and, finished up my degree at IU, and when I did that, then I started coaching with Ron. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up part one here, uh, you know, you, you one of the things that I've said before uh, being at Bar Eve, you know, at least on the athletic side, is is we're fortunate to play in so many big games. And I think especially on the basketball side, I, I, you know, obviously right now, you know, there there's, there's so much talent. There's uh, just some kids who really, really love to play, and you get – invited to play in some showcase games and 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 that's nice and and that happens every you know every few years the the, the talent cycles up it cycles down but i think one of the most unique things about bar eve is we get to play every year in what i consider to be three rivalry games that nobody else gets to duplicate you get mm -hmm. that first game at the hatchet house you get the buggy bowl and you get the bar eve and Lagodi game and mm -hmm. people see uh, maybe you down on the sideline in front of 4,500 people at Lagodi in that ridiculous red jacket <laughs> and go, oh, man, that's that's really great. And that's just, wow, what that must be so awesome. So I want you to dazzle everybody here real quickly as we wrap up part one with your first coaching venture. <laughs> what did you do? How old were the kids? And how much did you think you knew? Oh, well, I, I, I definitely thought that I – 
knew more than what I actually know now. Um, and, and I think that's something that I think you learn as you grow in coaching that you, you realize you know less and less all the time. Um, my first team that I ever had uh, that was my own team was coaching my brother's team when they were third graders. and uh, <laughs> That's glamour right there. Yeah, yeah, and I'll never forget. It actually started out when I was at Hanover because we would come home on the weekends. <laughs> I'll never forget this. It's and I know next the next episode uh, we probably need to dedicate entirely to how great of a wife my wife is. But I'll never forget, you know, I, so I'd come home on every other weekend there in the spring to work with those guys and, and I just remember on Sundays, the girl that I was dating at the time, you know, she didn't understand um, why I was going into the gym to work with a bunch of third grade kids for an hour and a half to two hours. And um, but that we had a lot of fun. And, you know, I still I still don't think sometimes people realize how much of an impact that those coaches can have on kids. Um, you know, Jeff and even or Michael Hayes, those guys, Scott Yoho. Um, that I talked about earlier that coached me when I was little. Um, it was so awesome to watch those guys in 2009 uh, win a sectional there at Eastern, and they almost beat Brownstown in the regional down there at Southridge. And just watching those guys that I had worked with um, up there on those those goals back behind the bleachers at Bloomfield on Sunday afternoons. Um, but that was a lot of fun, and, uh, and watching those kids grow over the next couple of years coaching them and and what I guess we would call travel basketball now. Well, third grade basketball is basically <laughs> where it starts. And on part two of the Bari podcast with Josh Thompson, we'll talk about those first days of teaching and coaching from uh, the beginning of student teaching at North Davies to Ligoti and then every stop thereafter. Sound good, Coach? That sounds like a plan. So I'd like to thank Coach Josh Thompson for joining us here on round – one of a two-part interview next time, as we talked about with Albert uh, in the first two episodes of the Bari podcast, the uh, first episode kind of business, the second episode pleasure, and things you think you may know about the coach of the Vikings, Josh Thompson, but maybe you don't necessarily know it all, the ins and the outs, the good and the bad of his coaching career. So thank you for joining us again. Tell your friends that... You can download us anywhere you get your podcast, Podbean, Spotify, uh, the Google Store, and anywhere else on the Internet. So for Bari basketball coach Josh Thompson, we'll catch him next time as we talk about his coaching career. I am Mike DeCourcy. God bless and go Vikings. <laughs>